Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, D.C. You're listening to our weekly sermon podcast. We hope that you enjoy this message. Read together from John chapter 9, verse 1 through 11 in the New International Version. It's going to appear on the screen, and we're going to read aloud together, and we'll go from there. Let's begin. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Great, thank you for reading with me. I want to show you an image um, that was taken on my iPhone while we were in Israel. Now, this sign is a newer sign. This sign would not have been present in ancient Israel. The Pool of Siloam. That sign points to the very pool of this passage. And it's amazing because now with my eyes open, I can see uh, the pool of Siloam. There's another image that I want you to see, which is the actual pool. Uh, This is what remains as a result of current day excavations. Uh, During our time in Israel, we had an amazing guide. Um, His name is Abiyad. He's a Jewish, fluent in Hebrew, English, knows the Bible, um, really, really well, knows um, the Torah, the Quran. Every place we went, we would open the scriptures and read about the events that took place there. So it was quite amazing uh, to be there. The Sea of Galilee, which one of my friends who was on the trip, Pastor Dehan, said, I now get it. The Sea of Galilee is like 495. Jesus was constantly crisscrossing the sea, going to all these towns and villages that were on the seashore. And so we got to those, go to those places. We saw the temple. Um, but I, it was so great that I got to go to this because I'd been reading John chapter 9 early in the year, maybe late last year. I was talking with one of my children about this passage. And uh, so I want to unpack some of that this morning. And, um, and then we'll have a testimony shared by somebody who's part of our church. So if they're close by, I want you to come down on the front row when you can so I can call you up and you can already be in place. But... It, it was a significant moment because Jesus in, um, and I'll, I'll show you some more images later, uh, the pool there, 
where you see the remains, those are the actual original stones. So those stones have been there uh, from around first, second century. And um, they were built during the time that um, the, the temple was constructed. As I mentioned, David's son Solomon was actually the builder of the temple. That temple was then destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Later, the Jews returned, and it was because they were taken captive. It was rebuilt, and so the second temple is what was present during the time that Jesus, in his humanity, walked the earth. A lot of us, as we pray to God and the God we believe in, the God of miracles, we are really intimately acquainted with his deity. The Bible makes clear that he is fully God and fully man. Being in Israel really put me in touch in an, in an unusual way with his humanity. Like he walked here, he slept here. He ate here. He cried here. He laughed here. He had fun here. And so just seeing his humanity, I was in places that were unfamiliar to me, but very familiar to Christ. And I loved it. I would just stand at entranceways knowing that he walked into the synagogue. It's like, wow. And it's almost like I see him now. And so my prayer throughout the trip was, Lord, open my eyes because I want to see you. That, I, I want to see you in this context so that I can even see you better in my own context. How many of you know it takes God to open eyes? So when you read John chapter 9, it really is a miracle. At this point in time, there's no miracle of note of the blind eyes being opened, especially congenital blindness. The man was blind from birth. This was not the result of an injury or some incident. He was born blind. Now, to give context, just before this event happens, Jesus is actually teaching in the temple. The temple is a very familiar place to him. It's the very place I sat on the temple steps. I tried to imagine Joseph and Mary with baby Jesus, eight days of old when they brought him before Simeon and Anna, and he was dedicated uh, to the Lord at that time and would have been circumcised, which is part of the Jewish uh, custom. He also would have gone up every year from birth, and at age 12, he also would have been at that temple. That's when they went up, Joseph, Mary, with Jesus and his other siblings. You can read about his other siblings, uh, James, Joseph, uh, Judas, sisters as well. So he's part of a large family. We don't often talk about that, but he, he understood community and family. Uh, and he lived in a community where everybody knew each other. He grew up in Nazareth. But every year they'd go up. And so on the year of his 12th birthday, we're familiar with the Jewish tradition where it's a rites of passage where you become a young adult. And for uh, boys becoming men, it's bar mitzvah. And so when he went up at that time, when the family left, he stayed behind, but they didn't know it. And so it took three days to find him, and they were searching for him. And he was like, when they finally found him, he was in the temple, and he was asking questions of the teachers and the leaders, and he was astonishing them. They were amazed at his understanding and knowledge, even at such a young age, his command of it all. And when his parents found him, they're like, you know, where, where were you, and why have you treated us like this? And he's like, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know where I would be, that I had to be in my father's house? Not referring to Joseph, but referring to the temple being God's house. And so he had that understanding that God was his father and the temple was his house. And so it was a holy place. I got to walk through that temple. We got to go on top of it and around it. And I was like, this is it. It's right here in the Bible, but it's right here in front of me. And so um, he had been teaching in the temple in John chapter 8. And one of the things he taught in the temple that day was that he was the light of the world, meaning that the world is completely dark without Christ in it. There is no light. Um, we can't perceive as we ought. And so he had just been speaking about being the light of the world. 
and he and those who were closest to him were leaving the temple, and as they were walking along, that's what we just read, as they were going along, they would have been on foot wearing sandals. Uh, there were no scooters. There were no Uber. There was no uh, uh, bus or minivan. or what, you, However you got here today, metro, some of you walk because you live that close. We're all the people who live close enough to walk. Raise your hand. I see you, Yousef and <laughs> Wendy. Some people are like, this is so exciting. I'm now five minutes from church. Others are like, wow, my trip got longer. So as they were walking along, Jesus saw a man born blind. I want to pause there and just say how grateful it is to understand that he sees. He sees us and he sees us in whatever condition we may be. And he doesn't just pass by. He actually stops and engages. The level of compassion, the level of sensitivity that he has and is displaying in this moment. He saw a man born blind, blind from birth. And the disciples begin to ask a question. It's reasonable that they would ask it. They said, who sinned that this man should be born blind? In other words, they recognize that if you're born blind, there must be some sin that occurred that resulted in this blindness. And so they're asking, who sinned? And we do know from parts of the Old Testament where even in Exodus, God says, I will visit the sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. That is, Sin is generational. We actually address things like that as a spiritual family, as a community called Grace Covenant. We recognize that there are patterns or practices in our lives that we've inherited. I use the phrase in my house, you got that honest. When you see something in your child or you see something in your parent and you realize there's, there's a connection there. Even in the medical practice, if you have a diagnosis of cancer or something, they immediately begin to look at your lineage. Has anyone in your family, is your mother, anyone on your father's side of the family, has cancer been anywhere? They're trying to identify, did it, what, is this the first instance of cancer in you or did it start somewhere before you? But in the, in the same way that we can identify cancer in your, in your physical kind of lineage, sin also transfers spiritually through your line. Some of us have seen things run down our line. Alcoholism has run down some of our lines right? Sexual abuse has run down our lives. These are things that sometimes we're not even aware of in our youth, but we grow up and we get bits and pieces and stories are told. And we start putting the public out like, oh, this didn't just originate here. This is something that's been in my life. But that's why Jesus died to break, to break the power and the influence that's come down lines so that instead of a curse continuing to run down your line, a blessing can run down your line. Yeah. Now, that blessing does require not only faith in God, but also obedience. But when you turn to God in faith, you now become part of the line of Christ. In the Old Testament, there are people who were not Jewish born, like uh, Rahab and Ruth. Uh, 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 Ruth was a Moabite, and so she wasn't part of the people of God. But Ruth said to a woman named Naomi, I'm going to follow you and don't make me stop. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. See, he was displaying faith. And as a result, Ruth actually ended up in the line of Christ. King David was born down that line. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Anyway, back to this guy who's born blind. They're asking the question because they realize things can happen. But I love Jesus' response. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, did he sin in utero? There's some commentaries that suggest that they believe that in, 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 in utero, while a woman is pregnant, that a baby could commit sin. That was a belief. 
And Jesus looks at them and he lovingly tells them, neither. Now that was a change in their way of thinking. And this is what is amazing to me. So first the blind man and then the disciples and then the leaders who didn't accept the miracle that had happened in the blind man's life because to accept it means to accept Christ. I was sharing this with one of my daughters and we were talking about the more man born blind. I was talking about how we need God to open our eyes. And so just a little bit about that. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. This blind man is there. He actually spits in the dirt and makes mud. And he then begins to press the mud into the man's eyes and on his face. Now, I know that most of us in here today, if somebody walked up to you and put mud on your face, you probably gonna have some words with, for them. He's actually putting mud on the, and the guy is actually willing to sit through this muddy saliva. Jesus spit in dirt and now you're gonna put it on my face. You're very quiet. Would, any, I have, would anybody like to come up and I can volunteer, volunteer what that looks like? No takers on that one. What did it take for him to sit through this muddy, <coughs> unclean process that it felt like for him? But he did it. And then he said, go to the pool of Siloam, which wasn't far from the temple, but it was downhill. And I, I, I know the pathway, how you got there. And in those days, unlike now, because this is a more recent excavation, it was filled with water. He knew where the pool was. Everybody knew where the pool was. So he walked down to the pool. And when he gets to the pool, he can only find his way the way he's always done it. I don't know if he used a cane or not. I don't know what his, I'm certain that his auditory sensors were heightened because of the inability to see. He had to rely so much on hearing. So he had to find his way with, I know that click. I know the sound of that animal. I, I know the feel of the rocks under me on the path. And he's getting down and he gets to the pool and he probably hears people in the water, around the water. And he begin, and they, all along the way, people are like, what is up with that guy? Mud on his face and what, dude, you okay? And he gets to the pool and begins to wash the mud away. How do you think he was in the moment when he wiped one time and came away and light began to flimmer and he saw the light reflecting off the water? First time in his life he sees water. He knew the sound of water but not the sight of it. He knew the sound of people but not the sight of them. He looks up around the pool and I just imagine for the first time when you're born blind you have no reference point. So he's seeing human beings for the first time. He looks at his own hands for the first time. And he finds his way home. The Bible says he came home seeing. When I was in Israel, my prayer was, Lord, let me come home seeing. I don't want to come home from Israel the same way I came. Open my eyes too. And when he went home, I don't know if he took the same path that he always took, but I know he didn't have to rely on the things he always relied on. He probably like, I heard that, now I can see it. That's that woman who's always there cooking or doing what she's doing. That's that guy who's always doing this, working on this thing. And when he gets home and he sees his parents, he sees his parents' face for the first time. I just can't imagine. Dad, Mom, Dad, I thought you were taller. I, I don't know what he said, but it's like... His parents, how could that not be an emotional moment? Your whole life, your baby's been blind, and now you're crying with tears and hugging each other. And see, the thing about the miracles, the Jews were expecting the, these kinds of miracles because it testifies to the Messiah. 
And so Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. You see, I'm the only one who can bring a man out of darkness like this. Now, that's amazing. The neighbors were saying, I don't know if that's him. Maybe he just looks like him. You know, miracles are the kinds of things that we become so familiar with things the way they are that when a miracle happens, our brain won't even allow us to accept it. The neighbor's like, I don't think that's him. I think that just looks like him. Look like him? That'd have to be his twin. That's how much he looks like him because it's actually him. And the man had to insist, said, no, it really is me. I was blind and now I can see. And they're shaking their hands. They're like, how did you, how, how did your eyes open? He said this, the man they call Jesus. When miracles happen in our lives, we are changed forever. You know, this idea, I was talking with a group of men Friday morning and talked about when you follow Christ and then you begin to speak about him. Speaking about him flows out of the genuine, authentic encounter of being with him, of what he's done inside you, that it's hard to contain. That you find yourself around people and you have to talk about what he did. You hear somebody say something, I've been struggling with, whoa, 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 let me tell you what happened to me. And so you, your testimony is that you are an eyewitness, which is what Luke has been writing about. His whole book is about eyewitnesses of Jesus being the Messiah. Beginning with Elizabeth and Zechariah and then Mary and Joseph, coming all the way up to this blind man who became a literal eyewitness of Jesus. He was actually brought before uh, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, and they said, how did your eyes open? He told them the whole story. And they started to argue and were divided among themselves because they said, nah, he, he did this on the Sabbath. And see, in the Jewish culture, you can't do certain things on the Sabbath. So to heal someone on the Sabbath is to break the Sabbath, which is breaking the commandment. So they're saying he must be a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. Now, our brains go tilt like, but dude, his eyes open. And they're like, no, nah, he's a sinner because he did it on the Sabbath. Other people who were Jewish leaders were kind of going, yeah, but God don't listen to sinners. And he listened to that man and opened his eyes. So Nicodemus, remember him who came to Jesus at night? He was in the camp who says, Rabbi, we know you come from God because nobody could do the things you're doing. See, he would have heard and seen about all these miracles. The blind man, Nicodemus may have even been in the, we don't know. I don't know yet, but I'll, I'll dig more. My whole point is his eyes were opened and it was amazing. And then the Pharisees said, we think he's a sinner. He's, and, and where is he from? And he said, guys, let me help you. All I know is I couldn't see. He's staring at him. All I know is I couldn't see. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. I've never seen anybody before today. And you're calling him a sinner. You don't know where he's from. Guys, how can you not know where he's from? Look at me. And they're like, you're going to lecture us? And they put him out of the synagogue. Now, his parents didn't want to be put out because they said, parents, is this your son? Yes. How did he get healed? And they're like, well, why don't you ask him for yourself? The reason why they didn't want to answer because they'd already made a decision. Anybody who said that Jesus was the Messiah was kicked out of the community. Now, in American life, we hop church and church hop and do all that stuff. But in that community, where are you going to go? This is my life. These are my friends and family. So I don't want to be put out. So they, they said, son, you tell him. And he got put out. And Jesus catches up with him later. And Jesus says to him, how are you? I'm good. He says, do you believe in the Messiah? He says, I do. I want to I know who he is. He says, the one speaking to you right now, I'm him. His eyes were opened and he got to see Jesus. And he went from saying, the man they call Jesus to my Lord. 
God does miracles, and the miracle is a heart that opens to believe in him. Now back to the second part. When I shared this with one of my daughters about God opening our eyes, you know, I'm being a good parent. I want to help my children speak into their lives. And, you know, let's look and see where God might want to open your eyes. Well, just a few days after reading that, God was saying, and now that you've shared it with your daughter, let, let's go back over the passage for you. <laughs> i like, for me? He said, yeah. You focused on the man who was naturally blind, but you overlooked the other blindness. The fact that I needed to bring more light to my disciples because they were asking who sinned, this man or his parents, and neither one of them sinned because they hadn't been illumined to understand that this was done, that the works of God might be displayed. So they're already followers of God, but they're asking questions where they still need greater light, greater illumination. You know, we're in this new property and we can raise the lights and dim them. You know what? The closer you get to God, you need to ask him, would you bring the dimmer switch up in my life? Would you let me see you in a greater brightness and a greater light? Because the more the light comes out, the more clarity comes. There are things we're still in the dark about, even though we believe in him, even though we follow him. But it's like, I need greater light. Lord, why did this happen to me? I don't understand. Like, you need a little more light. This is for the glory of God. Is there anything happening in your life which you can't understand, you lack understanding? That's a point of darkness. And God says, I can turn the light up. But it might be a little muddy. It might require a little something to get there. So I realized God was dealing with me. Um, our, our children are at different ages in life. Um, they're all adults. And I loved all the seasons we've gone through. How many of you still have kids in diapers? God bless you. <laughs> Lord, I pray you give them rest tonight. How many of you have two-year-olds and two to five? Lord, give them energy and strength to keep up with those kids. How many of you have them like uh, seven to 12? Yeah. Lord, help them as their children enter this season where they become smarter than their parents. And they become the teachers. How many of you have them in their 20s and 30s? A few of us. When they come full circle and they realize, okay. Um, so I'm in that season where ours are all adults. And one of my daughters was speaking to me about the way we relate to each other. And um, we've had this conversation and she brought some things to my attention. And my posture is usually, all right, I need to help her. So I bring explanation. I bring truth from God's word. I pray for her. And she's like, you don't get it. And I go, my work's not done. I'm going to keep working with this one. <laughs> and then they talk to mom about it. And then mom talks to me. And then mom brings more light. And I kind of go, oh. And then God just cracks my heart open one day. And my eyes begin to open. I realize... I've been looking at this through a perspective where my vision is limited. We sang some of the lyrics to the song, um, give me vision to see things like you do. Vision to see people like you do. I needed to see my daughter in a way different than I had up to this point. But I'm so familiar because I've had her from day one. I've raised her all the way. I know you. But she's in a different space and place and I realize... I needed my eyes open so that I could see her in a way that I wasn't seeing her and I could change the dynamic of our relationship. And I'm going, thank you, Jesus. But it gets a little muddy and a little messy going through that. Some saliva and dirt. 
and it got to get on your eyes. Is it really worth it to see different? I want to show you another picture. The place you see on the screen now, flat amazing. Before I tell you what it is, let me tell you what was there until very recently. Believe it or not, this was a parking lot. Our guide, Aviad, parked his car there, he said, for a couple of times a week over a six-year period. He's an archaeologist. He's brilliant. I mean, he, we had Indiana Jones as our guide, basically. <laughs> and, and he said, this was a parking lot, and I parked my car here for, you know, two days a week, um, six years. But all the data that was coming in said that we should dig here. So they went to the owner of the parking lot, and long story short, the parking lot was purchased and they began to excavate. You have to go through layers, not only of asphalt and dirt and stone and rock and layers, but you're also going through layers of history. You're going through the Babylonian Empire. You're going through the Roman Empire. You're digging down and you have experts who know how to dig and what not to touch and use brushes. And they said, beneath this parking lot, and it's been here for thousands of years, is ancient Israel, King David, who killed Goliath, his palace. I stood in his palace. He's like, oh, yeah, I, don't, I can't explain it the way they do, but here's what they found there. They found writing that they were able to cross-reference with the Bible in a period of time. They also found um, coins, Persian coins, and they knew the time. They did carbon-14 dating, and they were able to time everything and where the position of these rocks were with relation to everything else. that Excavation is going on all the time they realize that this is David's palace. It's as if the White House were knocked down and you come back hundreds of years later and in it you find a letter from the last president of the time and you realize this was the Oval Office. They found that kind of evidence. And I thought, this has been here the whole time? But it required excavation and digging and going beneath. And I begin to sit there and I'm like, oh my God. To see this, you can't just look, because if you just look, all that's there is a parking lot. But to see what's beneath it requires excavation and digging. Yeah. And I'm encouraged, and I want us to be encouraged together, because there are things in God that we need to see. There's a way we need to see him, a, a way we need to see ourselves, a way we need to see people in our life that doesn't come just by looking harder, but it actually requires digging and excavation and muddy, messy digging up. But when you get to what's there, the history, the truth of what's underneath it all is still there and it's always been there. There are things in God that we don't yet see, but if we allow God to do the excavation in our hearts and peel back and dig beneath layers of things that we've experienced in life, the experiences, the trauma and the hurts, beneath it all is a loving God who loves us, who, who, who wants nothing but his best for us, who embraces us, and who wants us to see as he sees. And I thank God that I'm seeing my wife different than I've seen her. And I've been married for a while now, 28 years, and I think the lens is still changing. My kids, I'm beginning to see them different. I, I'm quieter. I don't feel like I have to be something uh, that I thought I needed to be because I now see God, God's doing work here. And I realize I'm, I'm, there's, there's aspects and ways of living that I give myself to, that you give yourself to, that are shaped out of how we see. And so I, I leave you with this. Is there anything you're parked out on 
You're just on a parking lot in life and you're like, I just park it and I'm locked down and this is the truth and that's all there is. And yet there's so much more that you're sitting on top of. And if you're willing to allow God to do a deep excavation, what will be uncovered? What will be? I'm, I feel like I know nothing sometimes after coming back from Israel. And it feels like, God, you're just amazing. So in a moment, we're going to take an opportunity to pray together. Would you like to do that? Just three people. And in that moment of prayer, we're going to ask God for one another. You're going to tell the person your name. And after you tell them your name, you're going to say, this is my name. And this is, you got to give the five second introduction. So that's your name and where you're from or your name or whatever. But it's got to be five seconds. That's all. Maybe meet somebody you don't know. Then circle up in threes. Give your name and say, pray for me that God will open my eyes in this area. It's the one you know you need open. Now, there's clearly areas we need open that we don't know. He will do that. But just let's do that. Can we do that? Now, before we pray, um, some of you um, know um, a wonderful family in our church, uh, Brandon and Cassandra. They're amazing people. Um, If you would give Cassandra the mic. Um, During worship, she actually said that she felt at a place today to really share something significant of what God's been doing in her life. Um, To give you some of the backdrop, uh, I I remember getting a phone call. We were watching the Super Bowl, uh, not this year, last year. And it was an emergency call. Uh, Cass was rushed to the hospital. I think Kofi was driving her. They were praying the whole way. Who else was in the car? Kofi, her husband, Brandon, and, uh, and Cass was in the car. She had just given birth. Ten days earlier, she had given birth, and, uh, and she had a stroke. And so she was hospitalized for quite some time. And this church respond, responded like the community of God we, we are. Um, with a newborn and not being able to care for that child, you in this church, you who are part of this church, even who live in other parts of the country, came here and just cared for her, cared for their baby. Women in this church who are nursing provided milk for her baby. That's family, y'all. Um, you gave money that the church gave to them. Uh, but it's not been an easy walk for them. But it's been amazing. I, I will say this. I'll let her share. Cass, come on up. Um, when I got to the hospital, Marianne was there. Obviously, we had to wait in an emergency room. We couldn't go in and pray for her just yet. Um, and she wasn't conscious. But uh, one of the miracles that happened that night was there was a young man who came into the emergency room and he was clearly broken and distraught. Um, and Brandon, who we were there to care for him and care for Cass, Brandon got up, went over to that guy and said, let me pray with you. His wife just suffered, and he starts praying for somebody else. That doesn't happen. I have a picture of it if you want to see it. He pulled up a chair, and he starts ministering to the guy. And so it's been an, an amazing journey for them. And uh, would you just receive her with just applause? Because she's amazing. Thank you. Good morning. 
um, like Pastor said, uh, it's been a journey, but I feel that uh, God has been calling me to um, share and speak, uh, which is a miracle, like the song said. Um, when I had the stroke, um, it was caused by a brain tumor. I didn't know what was there, nobody did. Um, and so uh, they removed it and I went through radiation sometime later. Um, but like the song was saying, and it spoke to me because I believed in miracles before, but I'd never been a part of one. And I have to say to whoever needs to hear this, he's still the God of miracles. He may take it for granted, but the fact that I'm standing up here is a miracle. I had to relearn to walk. The fact that I'm talking to you, I had to relearn to talk. My speech is not perfect, but I can share with you today. The fact that I drove here in my car by myself without assistance is a miracle because I had to learn to drive again. So all the small things that you take for granted, putting on their clothes, getting dressed, walking, talking, breathing, I didn't even realize that I was not able to do those things in the hospital. It's, it's not until I looked back at pictures when I saw, while I, I had a tube, I had a breathing machine, I didn't know that. And so all of those things were miracles in the hospital. The way all these people showed up here from out of town. I had a friend who flew back from LA immediately. She was there. People giving, praying, coming to our house, came for my son, my daughter. That's miracles. That doesn't happen to everybody, for everybody. This church, this community, friends, family, that's God working. And so whoever needs to hear this, I don't know if you're believing for a miracle, if you've given up on a miracle, but he's still in the business of working miracles. still working miracles in my life, my family's life. Tomorrow I go back to work for, for the first time in over a year. God is a miracle worker. And like Pastor was saying, you might have to go through some muddy times, some transitions. It might feel bad in the moment, but if you're willing to go through that in him, not in your own strength, because I struggled with that for a long time. But he told me, stop trying so hard. It's not for you to try. It's not for you to do. It's for him to be. Let him be and let him do, and he will work miracles for you. Amen. Yes. So good.
How many of you believe in God for a miracle? Raise your hands. Before we break into small groups and pray, Cass, I'd love for you to pray. Thank you for all the people here that have been believing for miracles. Maybe they're small, maybe they're grand, whatever they're believing, help them to continue to believe. And that not there in their own strength, not in their works, not in their doing, but truly believing in you. Your power, your strength, your sovereignty. God, you have worked it all out already. Just make them walk in it. Make them receive it, believe it, and claim it, and be witnesses for you on their jobs, in their homes, for their children, for their friends, on their campuses. God, you are a miracle worker. You have been in the past. You are now and woes be. Let all the people in this room and beyond believe that you are still a miracle worker, that you have already made the ways that did, they don't have to worry about it. They just have to walk in it, receive what you have already given them, victory, power, God, you can do it. Just help them to walk in that, walk in faith, and keep believing. Um, did not know what songs we were going to sing. I didn't know what songs we were going to sing. So when I saw them, he, uh, he causes the blind uh, to see. I thought, wow. How about that? Great song. Goes along with the message. And she didn't know what I was preaching about. So you just sit here and you kind of go, all right, God, this is a moment of miracles. So she's already prayed. I believe as she was praying, some of you by faith are actually receiving a miracle right now. Some of you are receiving physical healing right now. It just requires your faith to believe. I just sense some, even in the era of vision, uh, blurriness, of eyes and things, God's healing and touching you there. Others, it's a throat issue or back. They're just different things. You know what your issues are. God knows. But if you will, just by faith, he'll either give you grace to endure it or he'll heal you. Either is a miraculous power on his part. So just receive healing right now. I feel like psychological things, God's addressing, stability of mind, thoughts, um, just a, a, an unusual kind of despair that comes over your darkness. It, it just is so overwhelming. It just the thoughts that you have to battle with and fight off almost every day. It's just, it, it's just unusual kind of darkness. I feel like God wants to bring a, a miracle in your life and break some of that off your life as well. Um, some of you addictions, just patterns. You, I feel like there's freedom in God right now. Amen. So father, we agree. We thank you that you are the God of miracles and we believe in you. And I thank you for the gift of faith that's present and active right now, corresponding to the testimony of Cassandra and Brandon. You are the God of miracles. It's not just what we read in scriptures. It's what we're hearing today 
in 2020 that you still heal miraculously. I thank you for healing the sick person here this morning, that they'll walk out and go, wait a minute, that pain is gone. You'll heal the heart. You'll heal the mind. You'll strengthen everyone who's standing here today. Also, you're going to restore relationships. Some of you experience brokenness, um, and just it's just kind of marked your life. God's like, but you're in my line, and I'm a God who makes you whole, and so I'm making you whole where you've been broken. Some of you are back here, and you're at Grace Covenant, and I just want you to know, God says, it's okay. Take a deep breath. You're back home. Some of you need to know it's okay to come back home. You may have gone away for a reason. You may have traveled because of work, or maybe you left the church for whatever the reason was. God says, welcome back home. He embraces you. You're back in the community. Some of you need to let that go down in your soul right now. It's okay to come back home. It's okay to come back home. And he's going to restore broken relationships. And you're not to feel shame or like, I feel awkward coming into this place and I was away and now we're here. God says, I've healed you. And I'm healing broken relationships.